Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Satsung Podcast. Today we have a very special episode. It's called Talking Shit with Drew and Greg. Uh, I'm going to do two podcasts with Greg. This one, we're just going to talk some shit. The next one, we'll get to know Greg a little better. Uh, but as always, the podcast is brought to you by Onnit. Onnit is a human optimization company, fine purveyor of supplements, exercise, gear, and apparel. Uh, what do I want to tell you about Onnit? I want to tell you about the Total Human. Total Human, I think, is probably the greatest uh, combination of supplements on the planet. It can be overwhelming when you want to get into taking supplements because uh, you don't know what the fuck to take. There's so many options. Let Onnit choose for you. Onnit has put together a day pack and a night pack. You take one in the morning, you take one at night, and before you know it, boom, you're optimized. Go to onnit.com, use code SATSUNG at checkout for 10% off. That's all I got for you. Without further ado, talking shit with Drew and Greg. Greg, welcome to the Satsung Podcast. I'm happy to have you. I'm going to turn you up a little bit. You know what, dude? I don't know what we're going to do. Um, I think you're great at talking shit. I think you're great at talking shit. We talk a lot of shit in the van. All right. Now we're both talking shit. Talk? Talking shit. We're talking shit. All right, dude. I think we just go through the news and we see what's happening. I never look at the news. If I do, it's when I'm pooing. Hope everybody's having a good day out there. Satsang family. We're getting ready to go on tour. We can talk about that. That's gonna be lit. Tickets are selling really well. What's really weird right now is people keep hitting me up and asking if we're canceling tour. Because um, other bands are. And I don't, I'm not really sure what the deciding factor is of of canceling tours because it's like there's smaller bands canceling tours but then Dave Matthews just played for 26,000 people on yeah. Sunday night I mean if it's in our control like I don't see a universe where we would ever cancel a tour yeah no I've been on team send it from the gate which like I saw a lot of artists and bands get um go through like these fucky lulls during the um, during the pandemic because they were like okay we can't go play shows so like I was dude I was playing house shows I was like um, I just didn't quit playing music I just kept traveling and playing music yeah well I think we we mentioned it last night you know if if some crazy shit goes down and we end up you know being forced to cancel shows or cancel tours like no we're still gonna hit the road yeah, I think the vibe just then becomes like, meet us in the parking lot. Yeah, come on, man, let's go. Out. Let's go out. We'll, we'll get some food trucks rolling up and. Well, dude, like as we've been talking about the past two days, what really sucks ass about this whole thing, is before every tour, I have to spend an exorbitant amount of money, even if it's just on merch. But like with the case of this tour, we've run out of room, so we need a bigger trailer. So I have to buy a bigger trailer. Um, so my big fear is like, okay, drop nine grand on a trailer you know, 15 on merch. And then they're like, no, you're not. And then I'm like, man, well, that just spent like a down payment on a house. Yeah. I mean, you've been through that last year. Yeah. You know, how much merch was sitting in Matt's garage? Yeah. Like for... $14,000 worth of merch. Yeah. <laughs> boxes upon boxes of merchandise just sitting there. Yeah. But I guess it's like, it's the nature of the beast. I mean, we're always okay. We're always okay. Right. Well, I, I learned so much, you know, once once I started heading out with you guys and, you know, filling the support role on the road, I had no idea how expensive it is to go out. Yeah, it's madness. You know, from cost of flights for everybody, the Ubers to the airport, the hotel rooms, um, getting food, um, it, you know, putting all the merch out front in hopes that people are going to want to buy it. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I've had shit and too. Not, not even knowing if these shows are going to sell out. You uh -huh. know, at least we're getting to that point where we know like there's going to be at least a few hundred people ready totally. to come see us wherever we go. Totally. Yeah, and that was the weirdest part back in the day, dude, because I did. I'd have merch, you know, when you're only playing to 50, 100 people, um, yeah, it's definitely really <laughs> likely that you can make a merch item that those 50 or 100 people are not going to want. 
and right. then you just are like sitting on 20 t-shirts for three years yeah and then you know go out with a positive mental attitude when you know you're gonna be losing thousands of dollars mm-hmm. just by hitting the road you mm-hmm. know so like you know just hearing the stories of what you did to get to this point you know even before i jumped on the road i think i think that year you know that spring was that first tour where you really started selling out wherever you were going mm-hmm. yeah it was cool it was cool to get to the end of the tour and be like oh i made money um rather than like i almost broke even right um but it's this thing man it's just like like anything like i think it's really easy in the era of like the gary v's and stuff and i love gary v so i'm not talking shit but like but we can talk shit about Gary Vee. <laughs> that guy's crazy as fuck. <laughs> he is. But like people always talk about, uh, you know, radical self-investment and things like that. Um, and you really have to be all in on it. Like, I guess my thing, like I remember having a conversation with my father-in-law where he was like, you know, you should invest in this uh, or invest in this. And I always was like, well, I don't know the CEO of that company. I know the CEO of Satsung, and he's a motherfucker. You know, <laughs> like he's he will work to get that money back. Like I don't, uh, you know, for me to invest in anybody but myself is just like bananas. Unless I knew them as well as I know me. Um, but yeah, man, it's such a it's such a wild thing. And I think maybe that is the hesitation with some of the other bands. Is it's like, do we want to book a bus and buy the merch and do all the things and then be in the middle of a tour and have it canceled. Cause if that happened, if we were like in the middle of the tour and they were just like, no, shut down. Right. I would freak. Then yeah. we would go full parking lot vibes, but I don't think it's gonna dude. Cases are going down and even beyond that, dude, I think we've moved to a place. This is an unpopular opinion, but I think the vast majority of people don't give a fuck at this point. You've either gotten the vaccine or you haven't, um, it, or you don't give a fuck either way. Like people are ready to see music, I guess is what I'm saying is that people are ready to see music. And if you're not ready to see music, then don't go see music. Like, yeah, I mean, it was clear to me, we, we had that whole year off and then, you know, I've been hiding out up in the farm in Columbia mm-hmm. and our, uh, you know, last June, I came straight from Columbia to Denver to meet you guys. We play Vail. How many how many people were at Vail? It was like three or four thousand, yeah. Yeah. And then we go do Red Rocks and the first night was almost ten thousand people, dude. Yeah. So from you know, doing a year of not being able to gather and then coming back and seeing ten thousand people and Michael Franti, you know him, man, he's everybody's high fiving, getting everybody hugging, yep. he's running up and down the steps, running through the crowd, man. So that really gave me you know, a, a sense of, uh, you know, just reminding me of, of our mission here and like how, you know, what are we willing to, you know, set that aside for? For me, not much, man. Yeah, actually you, dude, in the group thread, you had sent a text that like flipped my whole fucking script, man. Because I was kind of on the fence because I'm anti-mandating anything. Like, I just don't think... I think it's a slippery slope when the federal government gets to start having say in what you do with your body. And I mean, that's across the board, whether that's abortion or vaccines, like it sets a weird precedence. So there was a part of me that was like, I might pull this tour just to not have to be in the, in the crossfire. Like I am right now. If people like, Oh, you know, this, the fact that you're fucking playing venues that have these mandates is like, so against your message. And I'm like, dude, the text you sent that day, which to paraphrase was essentially just like, dude, this is bigger than selling tickets. This is bigger than a business. Like motherfuckers need this music right yeah. now. Yeah. So that I was just like, I mean, you know, the, the people that, you know, we, we got a lot of love and respect for that don't want to follow the mandates and, and aren't going to be able to make it out for these shows. God bless them, man. We're going to find a way to reach them, mm-hmm. you know, over the next year or, yep. or, you know, we're going to figure it out. But for everybody else, you know, we, it's not, it's not like we don't acknowledge and respect everybody who is in full support of the vaccine. It's like, we're in support of people doing whatever they yes. need to do for themselves to be yes. safe. So, um, if we have the opportunity to go out and gather with them, we're going to absolutely do it, man. We're yes. not going to miss an opportunity when, you know, you can 
you can see in the crowd, you know, people are coming on their first date. They're falling in love. Yeah, they're that was what you said. Songs together, man. Yeah. Like, you know, the the chance we have of creating an experience for people to come out that will further impact their lives. You know, and not not even talking about the music, but gathering with their friends and creating a memory that they're never going to forget. And especially mm -hmm. in this time, man, we're never gonna we're never gonna forget what we're going through. Yep. Yeah, I agree, man. And you know, that's, that's what's so funny too, is like for public record, dude, my, <laughs> it's not even a political belief, dude. I believe that what makes this country so amazing and different than other countries is the amount of freedom that we have. It was a fucked up experiment that worked pretty well. And like, I'm not going to go into the nuance of like privilege and who benefited from the system and all that. Cause that shit's all self-evident. If you've read books, like you know, there was some fucky shit that occurred in the history of America, but like, like this person the, yesterday saying like, oh, well, I heard you talk shit on vegans. Like, well, no, you didn't, dude. You mm -hmm. fucking definitely didn't hear me do that because I wouldn't do that. Like, I don't, I can't emphasize enough how little of a shit I give about what people are doing as long as it's not hurting other people. If you want to eat, if you want to drink your own piss and butthole gaze and like that's gonna enhance your life dude drink that piss like i'm all <laughs> i'm fucking all for it and the same thing with like this vaccine thing is like you, you just said it really well it's like i am in favor of people doing whatever they think they should do um and if you want to get the vaccine so you can come to shows i think that's great i'm all about that shit too like Whatever you want to do, man. Uh, or if you don't want to come to the, if you want to draw a line in the sand and say like, no, I will not participate in this fucking theater. So I'm not getting a vaccine. I'm not, I'm protesting this by not going to see live music. I fully fucking get that too. Cause that was almost where I was at was I was just going to be like, no dude, until this shit blows over, we're fucking not touring. Right. But then you sent that text and I was like, well, bitch, it's bigger than you. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, the truth is we're, we're on a mission facts you know and the mission's greater than us and and how many sacrifices have we made along the way and um you know now the situation it doesn't change for me you know i'll yeah. still i'll still be willing to make sacrifices to do what my heart is telling me i need to do you totally. know? and, and I, I got so lucky to fall into this position with you guys you know to, to be able to feel like you know in alignment with a with a team that has a mission that is the same as mine yeah, I couldn't imagine traveling without you. I wouldn't. I don't think I'd. I don't think I'd oh, want buddy. to. <laughs> I don't <laughs> think you, I'd man. want to. Um, well, I'll, I'll say like, you know, I've been. I feel incredibly fortunate. I, you know, I like uh, Facebook. They have like these reminders of mm -hmm. things that you post. You know, ten years ago or whatever. And, and I had this one story pop up that was uh, some some sort of passive aggressive post I made in 2012 that was about apparently you know I'm the luckiest guy on the earth and everything's handed to me and then I reposted it in 2014 I was like oh shit man it turns out that that ends up being true <laughs> you know I am a lucky motherfucker and um you know that belief in feeling that I'm lucky you know ultimately I believe you know attracts more opportunities to me and, and all of that but in my path you know I from a young age knew that I wanted to travel and I wanted to see the world. And I'm so grateful that I made a lot of sacrifices to be able to make that my life, my reality, you know, the sacrifice of not having a comfortable home or a home base, you know, constantly sleeping in people's couches and, you know, sleeping in airports and living out of a suitcase. Uh, you know, I've traveled with a 25 liter backpack for five years. And the opportunity to get outside of the bubble that I was born in, and, and then even further than that, get outside of the States and visit these other countries, you know, to go to Europe, to go to Asia, to go to South America, you know, where I've been living in Colombia for the last six years. Um, I didn't think that I would come full circle in this revelation, but I felt the, the more time I spent outside of the United States, the more I fell in love with this country and just becoming really aware of of the blessings that we have of being here, man. Because you go to Colombia, dude, it ain't free. Mm -mm. It ain't so free like this, man. The the 
poverty wage gap, all of these things that it's pretty much a class system. Over 50% of the people are unemployed, man, and they don't get any support from the government. It's it's madness. Yeah, and I, dude, that was that was my big takeaway from Nepal too, where I was like, dude, a homeless person in the United States has it a hundred times better mm -hmm. than someone in one of the lower castes in Kathmandu. Yeah, um, you know, you're not drinking water out of the tap. Um, the streets are full of shit. Um, you know, it's beautiful in its own way. You know, Trevor always said that India was like terribly beautiful. You know, where there's, there's so much weird shit going on, but it's like beautiful in its own way. And, and third world countries tend to, I think, always kind of be that way. But yeah, unless you get out of that bubble, you don't know where it's like the people that I see that are the most critical um, of this country are typically the most privileged mm. because they've had this easy existence. So they've had the ability to sit in a lazy boy and pick apart the flaws of this country, which there are many. There are many, many, many flaws in this country. Mm -hmm. um, and it, the, they'll always do the like, well, I've traveled, I've traveled. And it's like, where did you go? Where they're like, well, I've been to London. I've been to Paris. I've been to Spain. I've been to Greece. I've been to Italy. And I'm like, well, yeah, those are really beautiful, pretty put together places too, you know. Right. But even Greece, you know, I just had a friend go to Greece and <clears throat> same thing over their, their economy completely crashed a couple years ago. And they're not recovered. It's just like, half of the people are unemployed except Greece is pretty, you know? Right. But yeah, I mean, people just don't get it. Like to me, the big thing that I think of is that it's like an absolute lottery. Like what is the lottery that you and I got to be born here and not in Syria? Yeah. Or even in China where like, if we were to talk shit about the flaws of our government, that someone could come take our family away from right. us. Right, and there's you know? a camera on you mm -hmm. no matter where you go. The social merit system, yeah. Exactly. and. You know, on the note of of the seemingly feeling like a lot of privileged people are the ones trying to tear this system down, um, it's it's strange because they take that that ownership of acknowledging their privilege, and it's enforced. You know, their actions after that are enforced by guilt. Yes. Whereas, you know, clearly. We're both very privileged people, um, and speaking for myself, being an incredibly privileged person, having you know hitting the lottery with my parents, you know, getting to grow up and understand the sacrifices they made to give me and my brother a good life, um, I am compelled to go out and try to make positive change for people who are are less privileged than me, you know, and I get a lot of fulfillment from that, man. So yeah, and to and for me to just make a fucking gratitude list of like. You know, man, there's so much stuff that I, that I feel so deeply because I have, um, I've had this weird thing since I was a kid where I like, well, very empathetic nervous system activation be like, holy shit, what would that be like? So like, for instance, the situation in Afghanistan, the way I described it to Summer was like, imagine if we lived in a fucking world where it was like, did you hear Wyoming destabilized? Yeah, the militias are coming north right now. Like... Right. What do we do? Do we hold our ground and fucking lock and load or do we bail? Yeah. But then if we bail, then we've seceded. Now Red Lodge belongs to the Wyoming militias. Like, holy shit. You know, like we don't live in a country where shit like that happens. And to me, I wake up every day and acknowledge what a blessing it is to like, I live in a place where I can walk and just go get a fucking cup of coffee and not worry if a building's going to blow up. Yeah. You know, where it's like, there's this narrative in the news that is chaos and I just am like it about everything where it's like dude it could be spun a whole different way like hey you know 600,000 people got COVID last month and you know 580,000 of them survived it's like mm -hmm. well that I mean that's sad for the other 20,000 but like we could spin things positively you know or even the like <laughs> you know like Woke up today, guess what? You still live in a free market, and uh, if you have some know-how and some uh, some <coughs> some muscle dick swing and desire, you can get out there and fucking make a way for yourself. Like, right, right. And, and people forget that, too, of, like, why, you know, our friend Adam that went down to the border, why, why did those people leave their countries? Yeah. And why were they willing to walk all the way through the entirety of Mexico with the hope of maybe getting in here? Right. Why'd they come here? Yeah. Why didn't they go to Brazil? It was yeah. way closer. Yeah. Argentina. Why didn't they go down? Yeah. 
there's all those countries. Well, and again, that that's that's why I I really would encourage anybody to get outside of your bubble, get out of the country, yes, and go see what it's like. Go meet people that are out there on the streets. You know, I I've been spending all this time in Colombia, and um, we're we're very close to the border of Venezuela. You know? mm -hmm. So there's millions of refugees from Venezuela you know, pouring into Colombia. What type of government structure were they using in Venezuela that failed so miserably? Mm, something like ca 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 com communism. Communism. Yeah. It started as socialism and then it got real commie real quick. And, um, you know, so I've been lucky to start building relationships over the years with, um, with refugees that came from Venezuela. And, you know, I started this craft chocolate business earlier in the year and I had, you know, the great opportunity to provide some work opportunities for this Venezuelan couple that I've come to just fall in love with and, and become family. And um, they were in Venezuela just like three, four years ago. They had a house, they had multiple cars, you know, they had motorbikes, they had good jobs. And shit got so wild over there that they were willing to let all of it go and move to Colombia to live on the streets. Mm. You know, so understanding their story and their struggle of seeking a better life and seeking freedom, you know, instead of just sitting there and complaining more and more about what's happening to them, they were willing to make that sacrifice and actually, you know, take, an, take a leap of faith to go live on the streets, you know, and for one year, live on the streets, pushing carts, selling coffee, ultimately get a job um, from one of the greatest men that I know, one of my best friends, Helmut, um, who's been down there in Colombia for the last 11, 12 years, and he's built an amazing vegetarian restaurant there. And his whole thing is a mission of creating opportunities for people down there that are, are seeking them and that need them desperately. And he's constantly thinking of how he can give back and provide housing for all of his staff, you know, running, um, you know, through COVID when they had to shut down, um, taking his own hit, you know, paying out of his pocket to continue giving his employees full-time wage even when they couldn't work. Gangster. You know, huge, huge stuff. And, um, you know, so being inspired by that, um, taking, again, my sense of, of privilege and everything that I have and seeing what I can do for other people, you know, so. Um, well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's just it, right, is like, when you see how many people need help, if you're not a shithead, you want to help, you know, and that looks so many different ways, like what that help can be. You know, I, Summer, my wife, um, was made hip to the sex trafficking issue um, in Nepal, India, um, in that part of the country. And she worked with an organization that brought this film to Billings. Um, and, and she raised a bunch of money for that cause. And then I got linked up with unlikely heroes. And I mean, again, dude, I, I, that empathetic thing turns on where I'm like, dude, I had a rough story. You know, me and my brother got our ass kicked by our dad every day, grew up in the fucking cut, Yeah. you know, had my bike or shoes stolen more times than I can count. Yeah, man. I mean, I, w I would just say like get being able to ride in the van with you for, for days and, you know, all across this country and getting to really hear these stories that you have of how you grew up, man. You know, I think most of the listeners have no no idea what you've actually been through, man. And I got so much respect for that. And, yeah, um, thanks, man. You know, I really, you know, you inspire me in that way. And watching your story, I was, I was thinking a, a minute ago just about some of the people your path has allowed you to, to rub shoulders with and get to meet and now become friends. And I'm thinking of a guy like Tim Kennedy, mm -hmm. you know, who you know, is a great example of somebody who has that firsthand experience out in Afghanistan and with mm -hmm. all the madness going on, um, you know, and, and everybody who's never been there, who has their opinions on, on us needing to get out of there and myself as well, you know, really for, for many years thinking that was just such a bogus thing. We're over there, um, getting to hear and understand that, you know, we don't get all the pieces of the puzzle out mm -hmm. here and we're not, we're not, the boots on the ground and we're not meeting these people and the, the allies that we've created out there you know and so getting to hear from a guy like tim kennedy um of some of the dangers of pulling out and without a good plan and then to get to see this whole mess unfold of getting out there too early mm -hmm. you know not really having a good plan 
to do that and chaos ensuing and then hearing from you, yeah, my boy is about to take a trip out <laughs> Jazz there. Jez makes yeah, a call. <laughs> so him and Chad Robichaud and, and a bunch of other people, um, you know, they're all very, very elite SF guys, you know, like Tim Kennedy's a Green Beret, he's a Ranger, like, you know, I think he's done damn near everything you can in SOCOM except be a Navy SEAL. Um, and yeah, him and some other men like him, who spent a lot of time in Afghanistan don't just know people there. They have people that, you know, that help them, you know, relinquish evil from, from places, you know? And when I mean evil, I mean like, you know, the kidnapping and stealing of, of, you know, nine and 10 year old girls and then marrying them to 50 year old Taliban leaders, Yeah, you know, and being forced to have sex with a 50 year old man at nine, 10 years old, evil, evil people. Yeah. Um, strapping these eight-year-old boys with fully automatic yes. weapons and, and, and going to and going to people and saying you join us or we will murder your family in front of you yeah. um, so Tim went over there with a crew of people and they ended up rescuing 11,000 people he was gone not even two weeks right and as far as I understand it was not like a, a military government no no nope you know without the support of nope. biden or anything nope no know, government take, hand in that spending their own personal money yep to go out there and save these allies that they've actually built the relationships with over the years and yep. all the time they spent out there man Eleven thousand people Unbelievable. you know and then got them to safe um to safe refugee housing in another country you know that will help place them wherever they end up um so it's weird because we, we hear so much and I grew up same thing. You know, my brother went to Iraq. So I grew up with the same knowledge of like, or what I thought was knowledge of like, I mean, Iraq was clearly uh, about money and a side quest that, you know, that wasn't the mission, but some of the stories I've heard from Tim and men like him, um, are, you know, people that are trying to live a simple life and farm and this, long arm of extremism and evil, dark, dark evil, uh, coming in to terrorize them and destroy their simple way of life. Um, you know, those guys like Tim Kennedy are superheroes to those people. It's like, oh, you're going to come in and help us build infrastructure, teach us how to defend ourselves and help us defend ourselves while we set all this up. I mean, it's, 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 it's the most selfless job in the world, dude. You know, yeah. Tim has a family and, and still, will go meet evil yeah. face on locked and loaded. Yeah. So it's like, there's, there's so much shit talk from people that have no idea. And, you know, and when talking about my childhood, like, I think that's why I have that empathetic thing, you know, and I, and I've gotten into it with quote unquote activists nonstop where they are like advocating and trying to justify violence when they have no experience with violence. And I'm not talking about grindhouse violence. I'm talking about like, you don't know what it's like to see somebody get hit in the face with a baseball bat, dude. You don't know what it's like to see someone run over by a fucking car. It's like that traumatic violence. You will immediately go, this was not worth it. Yeah. This was not worth it. Screaming at these fucking cops, throwing shit at them, setting things on fire. And now my friend just got shot in the eyeball with a rubber bullet. Not fucking worth it, man. Like find another way. But it's these people, again, that have had these privileged lives, so they're like, well, you go to fucking crack a few eggs to make some omelets. And I'm like, well, you've never fucking seen any eggs cracked, so it's an easy thing to say as yeah. someone that doesn't cook breakfast. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like... Unfortunately, man, it's, it's hard to see a way out of it unless we're able to break this pattern of people getting sucked into identity politics. Yeah. You know, and that becoming their, their full identity is associating with a party and not even you know, having independent thought on all the different aspects of what's actually going on and, and creating their own worldviews from it. Um, well, the goal becomes the, being, being right, not be, accurate. Be right, not accurate, but also living with a closed mind. You know, if we're not able to have conversations with people that have different views than us, we're never going to be able to grow beyond the mess that we're in right now. We have to be willing to sit down and, and open our mind um, without judgment and listen, and then later objectively go through our own thoughts and formulate our own opinions on these things. And you know, I think the, the problem traces back to school, you know, when we're taught what to think, not how to think. Yep. 
Um, and so, so many people go through their lives never really formulating independent thought. And, yeah. you know, so that's that's what my mission is all about is, you know, from from the project of Purpose Spark that I've created and creating retreats all around the world. It's simply breaking it down to be creating a space for people to connect with who they are come back to their heart, their mind, and their body, and really create themselves from, from their own thought. Like, have you ever asked the question, who are you? Mm-hmm. And actually answered it and written that down. And I've come to find that to be one of the most empowering things that we can do for, for others is give them that opportunity to really say and formulate who they are without that voice of their seventh grade history teacher, you know, telling you who you are, your your high school principal, you know, telling you you're a, a piece of shit, you're not going to do anything in your life or whatever it Shut is. Shut up, Bruce Hookie. <laughs> Look at me now, bro. You know, so, and then after that, man, for anybody that is truly embodying, you know, the unique being that they are, I don't really care, you know, if we have different opinions on things, I'm gonna celebrate you because you actually have some authenticity and we can have a conversation where I really feel there's genuine um, processes behind your, your, your words. And, you know, you, you have a genuine sense of belief. You've, you know, you've thought about these things before, so. Yeah, no, I agree with you. You know, there's, there's two things that I thought of while you were sharing that is like, one, like you said, like you said, we're taught what to think and the goal becomes becomes being right. You know, so like I had an experience where I was essentially being told about the black community by someone that's never lived in it uh, or I lived in it for most of my life. And, you know, the amount of education and degrees and things like that were being cited. And I'm like, OK, cool, dude. But like like I said, it's like. If you were an orphan, would I be like, no, 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 man, like, you don't get it. I read Oliver Twist, so, like, I got the gist. Like, I know what it's like to be an orphan. It's like, well, motherfucker, I'm an orphan. So, like, I actually know what it's like to be an orphan. I didn't just read the story. And, like, the thing you and I have talked about, you know, I've I've been using this thing. It came up in a conversation. You know, Marcus Aurelius used to have a scribe, and that scribe would follow him, and, and he was instructed multiple times throughout the day to whisper into Marcus Aurelius's ear like you're just a man Mm. and and to me that's my uh my relationship with consciousness modulators um even cannabis keeps me so hip to my own bullshit and my dumb ways of thinking um but particularly psychedelics like you and I were talking about you know like when someone says something to me like well as a white cis male I'm like motherfucker I drank the punch like, I've drank ayahuasca. Like, I am not whatever the fuck you're talking about. I've eaten psilocybin. Like, I know that I am not a white cis male. I I am a fucking interdimensional being that is a soul. And the meat suit that I'm driving may be a white cis male suit. But, like, that's not what the fuck I am. Right. So it's like, I think there's so much, like, esoteric and spiritual knowledge that's been removed from the conversation. Because people are living a fully practicalized human existence and spirituality has been taken out of the equation. So like spiritual law has been completely abandoned. So all of these political issues and all of these different things we see are full human experience things. Like there's no spiritual context to them whatsoever. Cause like with the situation in Iraq, it's like, yeah, well we're killing people. It's like, yeah, dude, but there's a constant battle between good and evil. And I am fully on the team. Fucking cancel me over this shit, dude. If you are raping children and beating women, you should be fucking killed. I have no problem saying that. Like, there is good, there is evil, and the people that are good, that have the power to do so, should relinquish evil from the motherfucking valley. So, like, I don't know, man. I don't know. The spirituality thing, I think, is like the missing link to understanding it all. And, and what what hits me when we talk about the spirituality is the idea that we're all sentient, sovereign beings out here, you mm-hmm. know, and, and over the years, I've spent a lot of time with a lot of activists, you know, spent a lot of time out there in Standing Rock where we are standing for the sovereignty of, of humans, you know, mm-hmm. our brothers and sisters out there. And it's been so strange to me that 
in this time that we're in with the pandemic and having our rights stripped away from us and really seemingly um, getting further and further away from this idea of us all being sovereign beings and being free to make our own choices and really being able to choose what's right for us or, or where we can go. Um, you know, a lot of those people that I was with out there on the front lines in Standing Rock have just so quickly abandoned that same idea of, of protecting sovereign rights yeah. for all people and being so willing to give up our rights. And it just boggles my mind. Well, it's a lot of people that haven't read a lot of books about how that typically ends up. You yeah. know, like I said to Summer, we were having having a debate about this, you know, and I just said to my wife, I said, if you can show me, you know, I'm a history nerd, man. That's if I'm watching TV, you know, if my computer is open, I'm watching something 99.9% .9 of the time, it is a historical documentary. And it's like, dude, if you can show me one time where the people restricting movement and, and, and sovereignty were the good guys, I'll shut the fuck up, dude. Yeah. But that's typically not how it goes. And, and dude, JP and I have talked, uh, JP Sears and I have talked in length about like exactly what you just said. It's like the, the left-leaning liberalism that I grew up being a part of in supporting was this, um, I do not trust these powers. These powers are corrupt at their roots because we can trace the corruption all the way back to the root. Um, so I'm not living in any accordance with what these power structures tell me because I am a sovereign being and I know what is right for me. And I don't need help making those choices. I, you know, I know what feels good to eat. I know where it feels good to be. Um, I don't need help. You know, I am a sovereign being. And, and, and I feel like the liberalism used to be that. It was this freedom of choice and the disassociation of, of the power structure of yeah. like, no, I am not that and I'm not playing this game. Where now it is, if you're saying you do not want to play this game, it means X, Y, and Z about you. And it means that you don't care about human life. I'm yeah. like, and, and it's so crazy. Like you said, how many people that I used to really vibe with and agree with and be like, oh, we have the same moral compass and the same value structures. And this pandemic made a lot of people a lot of weird. Yeah. But it's all fear. Yeah. You know, and fear really does shine a light on like, you know, it's easy to talk talk a big game about what a badass you are until it's time to scrap. And then you find out pretty quick of like, oh, man, you yeah. know, most people aren't what they say they are. Yeah. But, it, yeah, it's just a wild thing of like, do you, I really think it is. It's like, do you choose fear or freedom, you know? Yeah. Well, I, I detached from, you know, political affiliation probably before I could even vote. Yeah. You know, just kind of, you know, as a young kid looking at this structure that we have of red versus blue... And, um, you know, seeing that pretty much leaders on all sides are kind of whack. Both teams, so Both fucked. teams are so whack. Like, I don't want to associate myself with either. You know, I'm going to be an independent thinker and, you know, have found things that I agree with on both sides and certainly things that I disagree with on both sides. And it's, for me, it, you know, I spent the first eight months of the pandemic down in Columbia up on my mountain, um, you know, and, and ended up going back to the States right before the election. And it was unbelievably tense. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the environment through the whole States just seemed like everything was on fire. Mm -hmm. And just watching the lines being drawn in the sand between friends, between family, yes. you know, and, and getting to experience that firsthand. Um, you know, my family's in Dayton, Ohio, and um, they got a swing pretty, state, yeah, well, swing state, baby. Well, my, my family's got a pretty cool position where, you know, they, they live in uh, America's largest brick home community in Huber Heights, Ohio, a little suburb of Dayton. And, um, you know, my parents have been conservatives their entire lives and and my brother has been you know pretty far left his entire life and um they live in houses directly next to each other you know and so going home seeing the tension in the greater sense you know of all the population in the states and all the separation happening 
and then experiencing it in my own home. And I'm going back and forth to my brothers and my and my mom and dads and just being so heartbroken over, you know, this big charade of it's us versus them and watching it separate our families, which man, at the end of the day, I would just pray, man, can we not just be with people who we disagree with? Yes. Can we not just find some compassion and, and a sense of, you know, we're, we're all humans. We're all give each other the grace of we're all trying to do our best. And we all have a different set of experiences that led us to have our beliefs. And, you know, when you, when you are able to zoom out a little bit, you can understand why people believe what they believe or you have to listen to do that you know and no one wants to listen everyone wants to be right not understand the goal is to be right not to understand and like you know for me man i remember being at uh ben's folks house um in new paltz new york our drummer ben um and watching the initial debates and bernie was kicking the shit out of everyone yeah biden didn't know what fucking room he was in and you know, I remember one of the final debates, Kamala was asked, you know, do you believe the women that came forward accusing Joe Biden of sexual harassment? And she said, yeah, I do believe them. And I think he should be charged. And I think he should be disqualified from being able to do this job. Well, fast forward three months and she's his fucking VP pick. Come on. And they do this whole video of like, we're going to do it, Joe, you and me. And I'm just like, you just said this motherfucker should be in jail a few months ago. And like, when I had Tim Kennedy on the podcast, we talked about that. It was like, you know, for a party to pick Donald Trump to be the face of your party, like that's fucking bananas. You have lost the fucking plot. If you think that is a dude that should be accurately representing you. But then on the other side, it was like, dude, to see Bernie get fucked over a second time. Yeah. I was like, I am fucking out. I will never, ever affiliate with y'all again like yeah. i am 100 percent independent fuck both y'all fuck everybody on both your teams like and it's weird you know like i'm at this place now where i'm like dude bernie should run with fucking dan crenshaw you know like i want to i want to see right. a purple card right i want to see where it's like tell you what okay kamala's gonna represent the democrats but she has to pick a republican running mate that would be interesting yeah because it's like uh, and i think it would work because it would be like I think what we've seen during the pandemic and just since the election of like Joe Biden is not fit to lead a fucking conga line, let alone the United States of America. And to see him under the pressure that he's been in and how fucking terribly he has failed. It's like we need we need someone for independent thinkers. We need people that that want to understand and not be right. We need a voice for that crew, because I think what we've seen during the pandemic at least I've seen, I've seen a lot of people that used to also identify as left-leaning liberals seemingly be like, fuck, am I a conservative now? And it's like, no, dude, the whole paradigm just took a fucking huge shift. It's like, you're still thinking logically. You still believe that your race, sex, gender identification, all of those things shouldn't dictate anything about you, you know, that you should have, it's weird to me that that's a conservative thing of like, I believe in personal sovereignty, liberty, and freedom. Like, that's in our fucking constitution, man. That's yeah. what the basis of this country was built on. That's not conservative to me. It's fucking American to me. Right. But then... And what does that do? That celebrates individuality and differences. Yes. yes. You know, where our our diversity becomes our strength at that point. You know, and, and what I feel like is the unspoken goal of both sides is to get to this point where the war is won and now everybody is on the same wave of thought, which never is gonna just happen. absurd. Never gonna happen, you know, yeah. Never ever gonna happen. We're always gonna disagree on certain things and we've gotta be able to continue our lives in this way, you know? Yeah, and it's and it's interesting too, you know, like the hypocrisy of, of these Republicans. It's funny how much they were screaming about my body, my choice in regards to the vaccine and then Governor Abbott in Texas just makes this fucking abortion ban, but yeah. not a ban on all abortions because him and his homies got to still get it for their mistresses. So it's like the the hypocrisy on both sides is just— Well, well you see it clearly on the other sides. It's like, okay, everybody that is pro-choice seemingly is— Pro-vaccine pro mandate. mandate. Yep. 
which I'm just like, cannot wrap my head around. Yeah. You know, let's let go of the conversation on what is this vaccine and what's it doing to my body? No, it's like the idea of even if it's perfectly totally safe, safe yeah. and does what everybody's saying it does, like, that's cool. But still, you know, the idea of being forced to put something in my body that I don't really believe I need or want Man, it's just terrifying. Yeah, yeah. So in that, where, where are the where are those people that were, you know, fighting for pro-choice? Man, where's my pro-choice? Yep. Yeah, and it's wild because um, the people that are um, you quote unquote pro-life seem to be anti-vax. The people that are pro-choice seem to be uh, pro-mandate. So it's, yeah, like we keep joking, you know, the, our band, everyone in our band, we keep saying, well, logic left the chat, you yeah. know, logic has left the chat. Yeah. And it, but I feel like I know so many people that think like us. So like what would get me excited, but I'm so disillusioned with the political system because when Tulsi inevitably runs for president again, she's not going to fucking win. Mm. You know, they're going to pick whoever is next in line, which has probably already been determined of who will run next. Right. It's like, you know, Elizabeth Warren, who I don't necessarily agree with all of the time. It's like you can still tell that she has her head on. It's like she's not going to win. They're not going to let Bernie win because, you know, what Bernie's going to do. He's going to make motherfuckers start paying their taxes, dude. And those yeah. people don't want to pay their taxes. Yeah. So it's like. You know, it's yeah, it's such a wild thing to witness and it's and it's even wilder to see people have such allegiance to something that's so publicly and openly blatantly corrupt. Yeah. And and not be able to say like, well, no, I agree with this Republican, but I would not identify as a Republican because that's a lot of motherfuckers and a lot of those dudes are foul. Yeah. You know, same thing with Democrats. It's like, dude, they're all getting their pockets lined by the same people. And if you think like you know, I got a lot of heat during the election because I was like, dude, whoever wins this thing, Donald Trump isn't coming to fucking save you. Yeah. Joe Biden's not coming to save you. Neither of these motherfuckers are going to fix your life for you. Yeah. You fix your life. Yeah. You know, in spite of, you know, and that's the thing that I feel like is, is, has been really my journey uh, in therapy and, and shit like that is having empathy because with my story, it's easy to go. Well, on paper, dude, I shouldn't have figured it out. I should have died. I should have went to prison like my brother did. I should have overdosed or whatever the fuck. Yeah. And I'm like, and I fucking figured it out, man. So why can't you? Yeah. You know, I didn't have any of the tools to figure it out, but I fucking figured it out. Which it's like, you know, everybody's life is so nuanced. But it's, yeah. I mean, to think that a political party is going to help you fix your shit is right. like. Well, I think it, it brings it back to the idea of really creating spaces in this in this world where we can teach people how to get to know themselves how to have a relationship with themselves where they can really create their own ideas and opinions and for me like what would be most important is for everybody to be able to create a purpose for themselves in their lives like us as humans we need purpose we need a mission um and without having the time to actually formulate that for ourselves, it's never going to happen. You know, nobody's out there giving you, you know, if, and if here's the thing, if you don't do it for yourself, you know, I, what I say is that, you know, there are many people in our world right now. And it, it was me before where we're living with a vacancy within ourselves. And when that vacancy, is there and it's it's a vacancy of, of consciousness um, and when we're not occupying our own mind and our heart and our body something else will inevitably occupy that space and it's going to come in the form of religion or education or politics or family dynamics or whatever it is and it's not to say that any of those things are bad it's but when when you don't really claim it for yourself then Ultimately, you're going to be following, you know, this this story that was written for you long ago, and we've we've got to come back, create that for ourselves, um, and then we can work together. You know, and we all have a purpose and a mission. We know who we need to work with, and we know who we need to reach out to, and we know, um, you know, who we need to tolerate as well. Yeah, yeah, dude. And for me, I think like. 
that vacancy, man, it, it really has shown itself in society. I mean, since, since George Floyd mixed with the pandemic, like what a fucking hectic couple of years for America. And I've seen so many people fill that vacancy with anger and vitriol where like their life purpose now is to tear down this thing. And everything I do say and think is about tearing down this thing. And, um, I just, you know, I come back to the, I, I think about my mortality a lot. Like I've been pretty obsessed with it. Um, the past six months of like, I'm going to fucking die, man. You're going to die. We're going to fucking die. Mm -hmm. What do I want to do and be with that precious, precious unknown amount of time? I don't want to be angry. You know, I don't want to spread vitriol. I want to spread goodness. Mm -hmm. You know, I want things to be good. I want, um, to make people love and care and shine, you know, and I don't, those are the people that I want to reach now is, you know, you and I have all met those activists where it's like, dude, your whole life revolves around being outraged and how that will pathologically show up in your life, whether it's chronic pain, whether it's cancer, uh, whether it's just failed relationship after failed relationship because you can't figure out how to be happy because you're so on fire all the fucking time. Um, those are the people that I want to help because I know that feeling well. I know the feeling of going through life angry um, about everything. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't lead anywhere good, man. Yeah. It doesn't lead anywhere good. When your goal is to set shit on fire rather than help things grow, yeah. You know, it makes weird it makes your environment pretty fucking weird. Yeah. And it draws weird people to you. Yeah. What comes with like um claiming your consciousness, you know, really occupying that space in your heart and your mind is letting go of giving away your responsibility. You know, and I, unfortunately I see it, you know, out there for for so many people is giving away their power of being able to make change and choices in their life and being allowing all of the challenges and obstacles that come up to stop you you know whereas for me you know i've you know it's not to toot my own horn by any means it's just like i i'm in a place where i love who i am yes i love my life yes i am in love with the process and the journey i fell in love with eating shit sandwiches um, because it all is building up to creating this, this story of my life. And that at one point that, you know, I'm going to take my last breath and that period's going to go on the last sentence of my story. And that's going to be it, man. And I want, I want to have the hero's journey. Yes. I, I want to have an epic novel for the story of my life. And so I've just kind of programmed my mindset and my way of being of to embrace challenges like it is what I've been waiting for, you know? Okay, so now pandemic's going, you know, I had every, you know, every day, every week of 2020 mapped out ahead of time before going into that year, (laughs) man. It was the, it was my fucking year, dude. I felt like I built, um, you know, the last 10, 12 years of my life was all leading up to that, man. And I was finally able to do it and then all of a sudden that was just taken out from under my feet you know so i i mourned that and it was really hard to let go for a long time but then i kind of snapped back to myself and realized okay well yeah this is the new challenge and what can i do to continue working towards fulfilling my dreams um, despite the challenges and obstacles and when one door closes am i open and looking for new doors to open you know, so little example is like, you know, I, I had these plans to record a new album with with Carl in 2020. And, uh, you know, when that got shot down man, I was devastated. But then I realized, man, I have this opportunity to either, you know, give up my dreams, put everything on hold or continue on the path. And what I've always 
found to be like a mantra that's just true for me is I always have what I need. So I came back to that mantra in those times and I found myself sitting up on the farm. Um, you know, I had these songs in my heart. I, I have this beautiful nature around me. I'm in the most inspiring place in the world for me and I have a cell phone. So let me go ahead and continue, fulfill this dream, still release it on the same date I was planning to. And I just recorded the album on my phone. And nobody knows, nobody listens to it. But for me, man, that was one of the most empowering um, moments in, in my life so far of, of just really taking that chance of like not letting anything stop you, continue yep. on. You always really believe you always have what you need and see what you can create with that. Be unattached to the outcome. And I think, you know, over my career and over my life, I'm gonna look back at that voice memo album I recorded on my iPhone and and see it as probably one of my most favorite pieces of art that came out of me. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the good shit. And I, and I feel like attitude dictated what came out of the, that great pause for everyone. You know, for me, I was like, well, I've always wanted to fucking put on weight. Yeah. I guess I'll do that then. Yeah. I've been saying for years that I was going to go to therapy and really fucking deep dive. Yeah. And fix the little bits of me that needed fixed. Yeah. Did that. And then the writing that was following um, therapy and just getting to fucking be a dirtbag again, man, and fish and ski and hike and play outside again. Bro, I don't even know if I've ever told you this story. I wrote a, uh, most of the songs for uh, All Right Now, and I called Matt. I was driving to Billings, and I called Matt, and I said, hey, man, I'm ready to make another record. Like, I got you know, 10, 12 really good songs that I really feel great about. Yeah. And he goes, cool. Well, you know, let's maybe start putting a plan together. We can put a budget together, you know, without you touring, that's going to be pretty hard to, to pay for a record right now. But like, if you're in, I'm in. Yeah. And maybe 10, 15 fucking seconds after I got off the phone with him, the GM of side one dummy calls me and goes, Hey Drew, like we've been seeing, we've been seeing the growth. Yeah. And we like where you're going. And I think we'd like to put a real label deal in front of you, like yeah. a real side one deal and help you make the best record you've ever made. Yeah. And it's just like you pull over and just like look up like, what the fuck? Yeah. But it was like through that openness of like, no, dude, this isn't an inhibitance. This is this great pause. Like yeah. you saying like, no, dude, I said I was going to make a fucking EP and I'm making a goddamn EP even right. if it's on my phone. Yeah. Like. I'm going to start a fucking chocolate company. Like, what can I do with this time? So yeah. I look back on it and say, no, dude, I, I, I used that. Yeah. It didn't use me, you know? And like, dude, that's the thing that I saw with so many people, this like, especially artists where well, it was like a lot, a lot of people, a lot of artists get stuck in this pattern of expecting opportunities to come to them yeah. and sitting and waiting for it to happen. And the truth is, and I feel like it's some sort of universal law that somebody can probably tell me the name of, but it's like opportunities only come to you when you're in motion, when you are out there taking action. Yeah. And it's usually, you know, gonna come to fruition in a way that you could have never expected. And I've, I've witnessed that in my own life is like, I've had these dreams and these goals written down for so many years. And then I get to a point where you know I, I hadn't thought about it in a long time and then I, I sit down and I realize oh my god I'm living these dreams and actually they they don't look anything like I thought they would but when I let go of them needing to look like I thought they would it turns out it's way better more beautiful and more fulfilling than yeah. I could have written down and, and painted for myself you know yeah, dude. And I, th I think that same thing, like brother Ali says, I don't think God's obligated to touch you if you'd rather live in shit than work a shovel. Mm. And like, you know, what do you do? Yeah. You're going to sit here, wait for God to bless your ass when it's like, no, dude, I'm out actively digging, searching and prodding for my blessings. Yeah. You know, cause that's when they come. It's, you know, they're not, you don't hear about miraculous breakthroughs happening to people that are yeah. just sitting around. And what I, what I hate, and this kind of comes full circle to the idea of, you know, bands and, and a lot of people canceling stuff Yep. right now. It's like, unfortunately, separate all the nuance and, and anything about the pandemic. It's just turned into the greatest excuse in the world as to not continue what, what you set out to do. You know, and everybody's just cool with it, you know, 
and actually celebrated for canceling, you know, for, for shutting down and for giving up, you know, for putting things on pause. It's sad to see, man. Yeah, it's a weird thing to want to be the person that tears something down. Like, I just couldn't imagine existing in a, a culture and a friend group. That comes, that comes when you're not creating. Yeah. You know, when you're not creating something, you're only looking around and seeing other people actually creating something. And that just points a mirror and gives you a really strong reflection. And you don't like to see that, you know, because that points to you. You have to look at yourself and people don't want to look at themselves. So they'd rather attach all of their energy into making sure other people might be as miserable as them. Yeah, man. I, I, I really learned that, you know, when I had JP on the podcast. And everyone was trying to set me on fire. A, it was really wild to see who was jumping on the bandwagon of Fuck Drew. And it was all people who, when I started Satsung, you know, were playing good sets at Shangri-La and were, you know, seemingly on the cusp of something, Yeah. you know, with their, with their projects. And then I came and just fucking blew past them because I was working nonstop, you know. I yeah. quit my day job and said, nope. It's homelessness or this. Yeah. And well, instead of your entire year and career building up to this one event throughout the year, you're actually going out. How many how many shows did you play for those last five years? Yeah, we're playing and 150, then, 200 then, shows a year. And then Shangri-La just became one of them, you know, and all of those shows, you know, built up your your abilities and, you know, your craft, you know, even, all those shows that you played in front of 10 people. Um, that was that was you putting in the work and figuring out who you are on stage and, and how to deliver your art, you know, because if you're willing to send it in front of 10 people, well, what's going to happen when you get up in front of 3,000? Totally. You know? Totally. You know, it was funny at Shang, uh, which was super fucking awesome to be back in the park. My and, God, and man, everyone. two years and I talked to Jojo. I was like, man, when was the last time you took a break? You know, when, when was the last time you took a year off, man? He's like, it's been 25 years, man. We've yeah, never, go, 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 go. Never yeah. taken a year off. Yeah, and, you know, especially working with all the charities that, and again, dude, to try and cancel some motherfuckers that raise fifty dollars to $100,000 for charity every year, like, man, you're a winner. You're a real winner. Um, there's a dude, there's a bluegrass band called Useful Jenkins. And, um, you know, when that shit was happening on Facebook, when everyone was trying to burn me down, I watched it from afar. Um, and I went through a lot of emotions, you know, I put together like a dossier on this kid to, and, uh, when I was in Minneapolis, that was who I was pulling up. I was trying to pull up and see him. Man, you're starting to use words that are beyond me. Dossier? What? Yeah. <laughs> so I put together like a whole thing on this kid. Cause I just wanted to let him know like, yo bro, I know where you work. I know where you stay at. I know all this. Like <laughs> oh if you think I won't fucking pull this up, is, this is why I roll with you. Yeah, I was like, I bro, I will pull up. And when I was in Minneapolis, I stopped by his work two times. Cause I just wanted to look him in his eyes and have him see that I was a human. I wasn't yeah. this far off distant Instagram character. I'm a fucking human being. Yeah. You know, look me in my face and say that shit now. I bet you don't, dude. I bet you shit your pants. Yeah. Anywho, um, the mandolin player, Chuck, um, him and I have never been close. Yeah. We see each other in passing. Hey, what's up? But there was this big thread of people shitting on me, and he stepped in and was like, yo, man. Drew's never been anything but kind to any of us. Like, you're going to cancel him because he had a fucking conversation with someone you don't like? Yeah. Like, he's been saying nonstop, like, we should be talking to people we don't agree with. Right. And yada fucking yada. And then he does that and y'all are mad at him? Yeah. And I had never got to reach out to Chuck and be like, thank you, dude, because no one was stepping in, bro. There was people that I thought were dear friends of mine that right. were chiming in in favor of fuck me. Yeah. So I had this special moment at Shang where I saw Chuck and, and, and just was like, hey, man, you know, like, I appreciate that. Nobody stood up for me, bro. Yeah. And you did. Yeah. You know, and, and that means a lot to me. He's like, well, dude, I've, you know, anyone that with half a fucking brain can see your heart from across the room. Yeah. So like, yeah, man, I got you. And I just thought that was really cool to get to get to see him and and. And all the other people that I was, you know, assuming I would bump into that talked that shit, you'll notice they steered fucking far clear. I was at that motherfucking fire. I couldn't have been more visible. Yeah. But they weren't trying to, they weren't trying to see shit. I just couldn't wrap my head around that time when, when all that was going down because I actually listened to the podcast 
Nothing controversial at all, man. Dude, and, and just like from the first sentence, it's like, yeah, you know, JP, you know, we don't agree on everything. But man, what a, what a gift that podcast actually was to show people what it's like to be able to sit in a room with somebody that you don't agree with 100% on everything and be able to be cordial and be able to work through things and be able to share the opposing views. And man, so, yeah, that's, so that's every, everyone, I'm just certain that anyone that was talking that shit didn't never listen to didn't it. Listen to yeah, it man, because that was the first thing. Was I, the first first thing, thing I said was was yeah. I said I don't agree with you on a lot of what you share, um, but but I think it's really beautiful and empowering how you are willing to go out on a limb and share it. Yeah. Um, and then his response was, "Well, I really respect you openly stating that you disagree with me, but that you respect me for sharing my opinion." And that was the start of the podcast. So I'm like, "Holy shit, man! Yeah, it was so funny." Where I was like, man, can you can you just go and listen to the first 38 seconds? Yeah. And then you can turn it off. Yeah. But no, that's not the world we live in. But yeah, I mean, it's all fucking level one thinkers. All those people aren't doing shit. It's, it's just hive mind thinking, man. And I'm sorry, but it just continues to go back of, you know, people not doing the work to, to get to understand themselves and really embrace being an independent person. And, and um, it's just it's basic, dude. Yeah, well, before we go pick up my son Malachi, to all you cancelers out there, I would encourage you to uh, to start going to therapy, uh, to take large doses of psychedelics by yourself. Come to a Purpose Spark retreat. Or come to a satsung show <laughs> or a Purpose Spark retreat, dude, and we'll get you lined out. We will get you lined out. Yeah. Um, any any questions on where you could uh, where you could possibly, you know, get a nice solid ayahuasca ceremony in or an ass whooping? Uh, reach out to me on Instagram and I will point you in the right direction. All right, Greg, this is only part one. This was just talking shit with Drew and Greg. We're going to do another podcast while Greg is here. Uh, and we're going to hear his whole story from, uh, from a traveling activist to a chocolate slinging heartthrob (laughs) (laughs) and everywhere in between. Keep going. (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) All right. We're going to go pick up my son. Have a good day. Y'all God bless you.